Chapter Ten of Dot and the Kangaroo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, May two thousand seven. Dot and the Kangaroo by Ethel C. Pedley. Chapter Ten. The fourth day of Dot's wanderings in the bush dawned brightly. The sun arose in a sky all gorgeous in gold and crimson, and flashed upon a world glittering with dewy freshness. Sweet odors from the aromatic bush filled the air, and every living creature made what noise it could to show its joy in being happy and free in the beautiful bush. Rich and gurgling came the note of the magpies. The jovial kookaburras saluted the sun with rollicking laughter. The crickets chirruped, frogs croaked in chorus, or solemnly popped in deep, vibrating tones, like the ring of a woodman's axe. Every now and then came the shriek of the plover or the shrill cry of the peewit. And gayer and more lively than all the others was the merry clattering of the big bush wagtail in the distance. As soon as the kangaroo heard the bush wagtail, she and Dot hurried away to find him. No Christy minstrel rattling his bones ever made a merrier sound. Clickety clack, clickety clack, clack 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 clack, clickety clack. He rattled away as fast as he could, just as if he hadn't a moment to waste for taking breath, and as if the whole lovely world was made for the enjoyment of bush wagtails. When Dot and the kangaroo found him, he was swaying about on a branch, spreading his big tail like a fan and clattering gaily. But he stopped in surprise as soon as he saw his visitors. After greetings, he opened the conversation by talking of the weather, so as to conceal his astonishment at seeing Dot and the kangaroo together. Lovely weather after the rain, he said. The showers were needed very much, for insects were getting scarce, and I believe grass was getting rank. And not very plentiful. There will be a green shoot in a few days, which will be very welcome to kangaroos. I heard about you losing your joey. My cousin told me. I was very sorry, so sad. Ah, uh, well, such things will happen in the bush to any one. We were most fortunate in our brood. None of the chicks fell out of the nest. Every one of them escaped the butcher birds and were strong of wing. They are all doing well in the world. When the vivacious bird came a little nearer to the kangaroo, and dropping his voice said, "But friend kangaroo, I'm sorry to see you've taken up with humans. You know I have quite set my face against them, although my cousin is intimate with the whole race. Take my word for it; they're most uncertain friends. Two kookaburras were shot last week, in spite of government protection. Fact." And as the bird spoke, he nodded his head warningly toward the place where Dot was standing. "This little human has been lost in our bush," said the kangaroo. "One had to take care of her, you know." "Of course, of course. There are exceptions to all rules," chattered the wagtail. "And so this is really the lost little human there has been such a fuss about," added he, eyeing Dot and making a long whistle of surprise. My cousin told me all about it. Then your cousin Willie Wagtail knows her lost way," said the kangaroo joyfully, and Dot came a little nearer in her eagerness to hear the good news. 
"'Of course he does,' answered the bird. "'There's nothing happens that he doesn't know. "'You should have hunted him up.' "'I didn't know where to find him,' said the kangaroo. "'And I got into this country, which is new to me.' "'Why, he is in the same part that he nested in last season. "'It's no distance off,' exclaimed the wagtail. "'If you could fly, you'd be there almost directly.' Then the bird gave a long description of the way they were to follow to find his cousin Willie, and with many warm thanks the kangaroo and Dot bade him adieu. As they left the bush wagtail they could hear him singing this song, which shows what a merry happy fellow he is. Clickety, clickety, clack, 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 clack. Who could cry in such weather alack? With a sky so blue and a sun so bright, sing winter, winter, winter is back. "'Sportive in flight, chatter delight, clickety-clickety-clack. "'I'm so glad that I have the knack of singing clack-clack-clack. "'If you wish to be happy, just follow my track. "'Take this for a motto, this for a code, sing winter, winter, winter is back. "'Leave care to a toad and live a la mode, clickety-clickety-clack.' "'They had no difficulty in following the wingtail's directions.' They soon struck a creek they had been told to pursue to its end, and about noon they found themselves in very pretty country. It reminded Dot of the journey they had made to find the platypus, for there were the same beautiful growths of fern and shrubs. There were also great trailing creepers, which hung down like ropes from the tops of the tall trees they had climbed. These rope-like coils of the creepers made capital swings, and often Dot clambered into one of the big loops and sat swinging herself to and fro, laughing and singing, much to the delight and amusement of the kangaroo. Swing, swing, a bird on the wing is not more happy than I, stooping to earth and seeking the sky. Swing, 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 see how high upward I fly, here midst the leaves I swing, then as fast to my swing I cling. Down I come from the sky. Swing, swing, a bird on the wing is not more happy than I. Thus sang little Dot, tossing herself backwards and forwards, and the kangaroo came to the conclusion that there was something very sweet about little humans, and that Dot was certainly quite as nice as a joey kangaroo. In the middle of one of these little swinging diversions, a bird about the size of a pigeon, with the most wonderfully shiny plumage, flew to the tree on which Dot was swinging. Dot was so struck by the bird's beautiful blue-black glossy appearance, and its brightly contrasting yellow beak and legs, that she stopped swinging at once. "'You are a pretty bird,' she said. "'I am a satin bower bird,' it said. "'We heard you singing, and we thought—' "'Therefore, that you probably enjoy parties, "'so I have come to invite you to one of our assemblies, "'which will take place shortly. "'Friend Kangaroo, we know, is of a somewhat serious nature, "'but probably she will do us the pleasure of accompanying you "'to our little entertainment.' "'I shall have great pleasure in doing so,' said the Kangaroo. "'I have not been at any of your parties for a long time. "'You know, I suppose, that I lost my little Joey very sadly.' "'We heard all about it,' replied the bower-bird, in a tone of exaggerated, almost ridiculous sadness, for it was so anxious that the kangaroo should think that it felt very deeply for her loss. "'We were in the middle of a meeting at the time the wallaby brought the news. 
and we were so sad that we nearly broke up our assembly. But it would have been a pity to do so, really, as the young birds enjoy themselves so much at the bower of pleasure. But, said the satin bird, with a sudden change of tone from extreme sorrow to one of vivacious interest, I must show you the way to the bower, or you would never find it. Dot jumped down from the swing, and she and the kangaroo, guided by the satin bird, made their way through some very thickly grown bush. The bird was certainly right in saying that they would never have found the bower of pleasure without a guide. It was carefully concealed in the most densely grown scrub. As they were pushing their way through a thicket of shrubs, before reaching the open space where the satin bird's bower was built, they heard an increasing noise of birds all talking to one another. The din of this chattering was enhanced considerably by the shrill sounds of tree-frogs and crickets, and the hubbub made Dot feel like the little native bear, as if her head was empty. "'This will be a very pleasant party,' said the satin bird. "'There is plenty of conversation, so everyone is in a good humor.' "'Do you think anyone is listening, or are they all talking?' inquired the kangaroo timidly. "'Nobody would attempt to listen.' answered the satin-bird. It would be impossible against the music of the tree-frogs and crickets, so everyone talks. "'I should tell the tree-frogs and crickets to be quiet,' said Dot. "'No one seems to care for their music.' "'Oh, without music it would be very dull,' explained the satin-bird. "'No one would care to talk. You understand? It would be awkward. Someone might overhear what you said.' As the bird spoke, the trio reached the place where the bower was situated. Dot thought it a most curious sight. In the middle of an open space, the birds had built a flooring of twigs, and upon that they had erected a bower about three feet high, also constructed of twigs interwoven with grass, and arranged so as nearly to meet at the top in an arched form. "'It's a new bower, and more commodious than our last,' said the satin-bird, with an air of satisfaction. "'What do you think of the decorations?' In a temporary lull of the frog and cricket band, and the conversation, Dot and the kangaroo praised the bower and its decorations, and inquired politely how the birds had managed to procure such a collection of ornaments for their pleasure-hall. Several young bower-birds came and joined in the chat, and Dot was surprised to see how different their plumage was, from the satin-blue-black of the old birds. These younger members of the community were of a greenish-yellow color, with dark pencilings on their feathers, and had no glossy sheen like their elders. Each of them pointed out some ornament that it had brought with which to deck the bower. One had brought the pink feathers of a gala, which had been stuck here and there amongst the twigs. Others had collected the delicate shells of land-snails, and put them round about the entrance. But the birds that were proudest of their contributions were those who had picked up odds and ends at the camps of bushmen. "'That beautiful bright thing I brought from a camp a mile away,' said a bird, indicating a tag from a cake of tobacco. "'But it isn't so pretty as mine,' said another, pointing to the glass stopper of a sauce-bottle. "'Or mine,' chimed in another bird, as it claimed a bright piece of tin from a milk-can, that was inserted in the twigs just above the entrance of the bower. "'Nonsense, children,' said a grave old satin-bird. 
"'Your trifles are not to be compared with that beautiful object I found to-day, "'and arranged along the top of the bower. "'The effect is splendid.' "'As he spoke, Dot observed that twined amidst the topmost twigs of the construction "'was a strip of red flannel from an old shirt, "'a bedraggled red rag that must have been found in an extinct campfire, "'judging by its singed edges.' The day Dot had lost her way, she had been threading beads, and she still had upon her finger a ring of the pretty colored pieces of glass. She saw the old satin bird look at this ring longingly, so she pulled it off and begged that it might be added to the other decorations. It was instantly given the place of honor, over the entrance and above the piece of milk tin. This gift from Dot caused an immediate flow of conversation, because every bird was pleased to have something to talk about. They all began to say how beautiful the beads were. "'Quite too lovely,' said one. "'What a charming little human!' exclaimed another. "'Just the finish that our bower required!' was a general remark, and a great many kept exclaiming, "'So tasteful! So sweet! How elegant! Exquisite! It's a love!' "'It's a dear!' and so on. A great deal more was said, but the oldest bower-bird, thinking that all the adjectives were getting used up, told the frogs and crickets to start the music again, so as to keep the excitement going, and all further observations were drowned in the noise. Presently the younger birds flew down to the bower and began to play and dance, like a troop of children. They ran round and round the bower, and to and fro through it gleefully chasing each other. Then they would assemble in groups, and hop up and down, and dance to one another in what Dot thought a rather awkward fashion, but she was thinking of the elegance and grace of the native companions, who can make beautiful movements with their long legs and necks, whilst these little bower-birds are rather ungainly in their steps. What amused her was to see how the young cock-birds showed off to the little hens. They were conceited fellows, and only seemed happy when they had five or six little hens looking admiringly at their every movement. At such times they would dance and hop with great delight, and the little hens, in a circle round them, watched their hops and steps with absorbed interest. Immensely pleased with himself, the young dancer would fluff out his feathers so as to look as big as possible, and after strutting about, would suddenly shoot out a leg and a wing, first on one side and then on the other, then spring high into the air, and do a sort of step-dance, when his feet touched the earth again. Endless were the tricks he resorted to, to show off his feathers and dancing to the best advantage, and the little hens watched it all with silent intentness. In the meantime the frogs and crickets stopped to rest, and Dot could hear the conversation of some of the old birds perched near her. A little party of elderly hens were discussing the young birds who were dancing at the bower. "'I must say I don't admire that new step which is becoming so popular amongst the young birds,' said one elderly hen, and all her companions rustled their feathers, closed their beaks tightly, and nodded their heads in various ways. One said it was rough, another that it was ungainly, and others that it was unmannerly. "'As for manners,' said the first speaker, "'the bower-birds of this day can't be said to have any.' And all her companions chorused, "'No, indeed!' "'In my young day,' continued the elderly hen, and all the group were sighing, 
"'Ah, in our young days!' "'When a young hen perched on a bough above them "'and interrupted pertly, "'Dear me, can't you good birds "'find anything more interesting to talk about "'than ancient history?' "'At this the groups of gossips "'whispered angrily to one another, "'Minx, hussy, wildcat, etc., "'and the rude young bird flew back to her companions. "'What I object to most in young birds,' "'said another elderly hen, is their appearance. Some of them do nothing all day but preen their feathers. Look at the overstudied arrangements of their wing flights, and the affected exactness of their tail feathers. One looks in vain for sweetness and simplicity in the present-day young bower-birds. Even that is better than the newer fashion of scarcely preening the feathers at all, observed yet another of the group. "'Many of the young birds take no pride in their feathers whatever, "'but devote all their time to studying the habits of out-of-the-way insects.' "'A chorus of disapproval from all present supported this remark. "'Studies that interfere with a young hen's appearance should not be permitted,' said one bird. "'What is the good of knowing all about insects when we live on berries and fruit?' asked another. "'The sight of insects gives one the creeps,' said a third. "'I am thankful to say all my little hens care for nothing beyond playing at the bower and preening their feathers,' said an affectionate bower-bird mother. "'They get a deal of attention paid to them. "'No young satin-bird would look at a learned little bower-hen,' said the bird, who had first objected to untidy and studious young hens.' "'For my part, I never allow a chick of mine even to mention insects, unless they are well-known beetles.' Dot thought this chattering very stupid, so she went round a bush to where the old fathers of the bower-birds were perched. They were grave old fellows, arrayed in their satin blue-black plumage, and she found them all more or less in a grumbling humour. "'Birds at our time of life should not have to attend parties.' said several, and Dot wondered why they came. "'How are you, old neighbor?' said one to another. "'Terribly bored,' was the reply. "'How long must we stay, do you think?' asked another. "'Oh, until these young fools have finished amusing themselves,' answered its friend. The only satin birds who seemed to Dot to be interested in one another were some engaged in discussing the scarcity of berries and the wrongs done to bower-birds by white humans, destroying the wild fig and lily-pilly trees. This grievance, and the question as to what berries or figs agreed best with each old bower-bird's digestion, were the only topics discussed with any animation. Dot soon tired of listening to the birds, and returned to the kangaroo, who asked her if she cared to stay any longer. The little girl said she had seen and heard enough, and judging by this one, she didn't care for parties. "'Neither do I,' whispered the kangaroo. "'They make me feel tired, and somehow they seem to remind one of everything one knows that's sad, in spite of all the gaiety.' "'Is it gay?' inquired Dot hesitating a little in her speech, for she had felt rather dull and miserable. "'Well, everyone says it's gay, and there is always a deal of noise, so I suppose it is,' answered the kangaroo. "'I'd rather be in your pouch, so let us go away,' entreated Dot, 
and they left the bower-place without any of the birds noticing their departure, for they were all busy gossiping or discussing the great berry or digestion questions. It was towards evening, when they reached an open plain, and here they met an emu. As both Dot and the kangaroo were thirsty, they asked the emu the way to a water-hole or tank. "'I'm going to a tank now,' replied the emu. "'Let us proceed together.' "'Do you think it will be safe to drink to-night?' inquired the kangaroo anxiously. "'Well, to tell the truth,' said the emu lightly, "'it is likely to be a little difficult. There is a somewhat straining feeling between the white humans and ourselves just now. In consequence, we have to resort to a little strategy on our visits to the tanks, and we avoid eating anything tempting left about at camping-places.' "'Are they laying poison for you?' asked the kangaroo in horrified tones. "'They are doing something of the kind, we think,' answered the emu airily, "'for some of us have had most unpleasant symptoms after picking up morsels at camping-grounds. Several have died. We were quite surprised, for hitherto there had been no better cure for emu indigestion than wire-nails, hoop-iron, and preserved milk-cans. The worst symptoms have yielded to scraps of barbed wire in my own case, but these emus died in spite of all remedies.' "'But I heard,' said the kangaroo, "'that emus were protected by the government. "'I never understood why.' "'We are protected,' said the huge bird, "'because we form a part of the Australian arms.' "'So do we,' said the kangaroo. "'But we are not protected.' "'True,' said the bird. "'But the humans can make some money out of you when you are dead, "'whereas we serve no purpose at all, excepting alive.' Then we add a charm to the scenery, and moreover each of our eggs will make a pound-cake. But the time will come, friend, when there will be neither emu nor kangaroo for Australia's arms. No creature will be left to represent the land but the bunny-rabbit and the sheep. "'I hate the sheep,' said the kangaroo. "'They eat all our grass.' "'You have not studied them as we have,' answered the emu. "'They are most entertaining.' We have great fun with them, and we've learnt some capital sheep games from those dogs humans drive them with. It's really exciting to drive a big mob when they want to break and scatter. We were chasing them here and there all over the plain today. I don't like sheep, said Dot. They are so stupid. So they are, agreed the emu, and that is what puzzles me. What is it about the sight of sheep that excites one so? When one gets into a big flock, one has to dance. One can't help oneself. We had a great dance in a flock today, and the lambs would get under our feet. So I'm sorry to say a good many of them were killed. "'Men will certainly kill you if you do that,' said Dot. "'We know it,' chuckled the emu. "'That is why the tank is not quite safe just now.' "'But this evening I will show you a new plan "'by which to learn if humans are camped at a tank or not. "'We have played the trick with great success for several nights.' "'Conversing thus, the emu, the kangaroo, and Dot wandered on "'until the emu requested them to wait for a few minutes, "'whilst it peeped at the tank, which was still a long way off. "'It presently returned and said that it felt quite suspicious "'because everything looked so clear and safe. "'From this point of high ground,' said the bird. You can watch our proceedings. I will now give the signal and return to my post here. 
The emu then ran at a great pace along the edge of the plain, and emitted a strange rattling cry. After disappearing from sight for a time, it returned hurriedly to where Dot and her friend were waiting. "'Now see,' said the emu, nodding at the distant side of the plain. Dot's eyes were not so keen of sight as those of an emu, but she thought she could see something like a little cloud of dust far, far away across the dry brown grass of the plain. Soon she was quite sure that the little cloud was advancing towards her side of the plain, and in the direction of the tank. As it came nearer, she could see the bobbing heads of emus, popping up above the dust, and she could see some of the birds running round the little cloud. "'What is the cause of all that dust?' she asked the emu. "'Sheep,' it answered with a merry chuckle. "'But what are the emus doing with the sheep?' asked Dot and the kangaroo, now fully interested in the emu's maneuver. "'They are driving them to the water at the tank,' said the bird, highly delighted with the scheme. "'The sheep will soon know that they are near water, and will go to it without driving. Then we shall watch, and if they quietly drink and scatter, it will be safe for us. But if they see anything unusual and break and run—' "'Well, we shan't drink at the tank to-night. "'There will be humans and dogs there, "'and we don't cultivate their society just now.' "'Really, that is the cleverest thing I have heard for a long time,' "'said the kangaroo, full of admiration for the trick. "'How did you jump to that conclusion?' "'The idea sprang upon us,' answered the emu, "'with an immense hop in the air and a dancing movement "'when it came to the ground again. "'Dear me!' it exclaimed, "'The sight of those sheep is beginning to excite me, and I can hardly keep still. I wonder what there is so exciting about sheep.' Dot could see now the advancing flock of sheep, with their attendant mob of emu quite well. The animals had got scent of the water, and with contented bleeding were slowly moving with a rippling effect across the dusty plain. The mob of emu soon left the sheep to go their own way, and grouped in a cluster, watched with bobbing heads every movement of the flock. Dot, the kangaroo, and the emu looked towards the tank with silent interest. "'I'm stationed here,' whispered the bird, "'to give a warning in case there is any danger in this direction. Emus are posted all round the tank on the same duty.' Dot could see the whole scene well. Far beyond, a few low shrubs on the opposite side of the sheet of water, there was no sheltering bush near the great tank which had been excavated on the bare plain. Onward came the sheep, and quite stationary in the distance remained the emu mob. Just as the first sheep were descending the deep slope of the tank, a plover rose from amongst the bushes with a shrill cry. The emu started at the sound and whispered to the kangaroo, "'There'll be no drink to-night. Watch!' The cry of the plover seemed to arrest the advance of the timid sheep. They waited in a closely packed flock, looking around. But presently the old leader gave a deep bleat, and they moved forward towards the water. "'Shriek! Shriek!' cried the plover from the bushes, screaming as they rose and flew away. And suddenly the flock of sheep broke and hurried back to the open plain. At the same instant Dot could hear the sharp barking of a sheep-dog, a noise that produced an instant effect on the creatures she was with. With lightning speed the kangaroo had popped her into her pouch, and was hopping away, 
and the emu was striding with its long legs as fast as it could for the cover of the bush. Just as they entered the bush shelter, Dot peeped out of the pouch across the plain, and could see the mob of emu in a cloud of dust, running, and almost out of sight. When they had reached a place of safety, the friendly emu bid the kangaroo and Dot good night. "'We shall have to go thirsty to-night,' it said. "'But there will be a heavy dew, and the grass will be wet enough to cool one's mouth. That pretty trick of ours was such a success that it is almost worth one's while to lose one's drink in proving it.' Turning to Dot, it said, "'You will be able to tell the big humans that we emus are not such fools as they think.' and that we find their flocks of silly sheep most useful and entertaining animals. Chuckling to itself, the emu strode off, leaving Dot and the kangaroo to pass another night in the solitude of the bush. End of chapter 10